Mike Rags and Todd Burlich with a Blue Gold Report podcast. Fighting Irish sports from the inside out. Subscribe to the Blue Gold Report. It's not just talk, it's the Blue Gold Report. Well, hello again, everybody. It is the Blue Gold Report. Mike Rags with you. And as always, brought to you by D.O. McComb and Son Funeral Homes. We've got Todd Burlage back with us today. Now, he is out on assignment, so he's going to do this via the telephone. But it's good to have him back after a couple weeks off. We wish him well. And we've got some things to talk about. Lots of Blue Gold Nuggets to get to. A new tournament coming to Purcell Pavilion that we want to talk about as far as college basketball goes. Uh, Looks like on the running back front for the football team, we're going to have some headaches and some problems with a potential suspension on the way uh, and a whole heck of a lot of stuff including later on we're going to play Brian Kelly's uh, most of his entire presser following the blue gold game what he had to say how he assessed the team never really sat down and broke that down but we're actually going to play the press conference for you as Brian Kelly goes through the game and and what he uh, what he sees for the future of the 2018 Notre Dame fighting Irish also uh, Todd I have a bonus uh, blue gold nugget. Why you're going to want to watch the uh, the uh, the triple crown justify uh, at the Belmont and root for the triple crown and how it affects Notre Dame football. I, I found an anomaly that we need to talk about and why you should be rooting for justify. But you just heard him say, "Wow, he's our good buddy. He's back from a couple weeks off. We're all here, healthy and and ready to rock and roll." It's the lead writer for all thing blue gold sports on uh, Blue Gold Illustrated for Notre Dame. It's Todd Burlich. Todd, good to have you back. Nice to be back, and that was a heck of a tease, Rags. That's I'm a good gonna, one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going to shoot through my nuggets just to get to your nuggets. <laughs> okay, well, you could do that if you'd like. Uh, don't don't rush yourself. Uh, <laughs> don't rush yourself. Uh, and uh, Todd, always a pleasure. Although you are on the phone, uh, but we got you here uh, in in spirit, and not just spirit, in actual facts and information. And that's what you bring us, especially with your blue gold nuggets. And you got a whole plethora of them today. I know. Is the season for sure. What is it, about six, seven of them, something like that? Yeah, let's start with track and field. We don't spend enough time on track and field rags, so we're going to do this. Uh, the Nationals were just uh, completed, and Notre Dame had a handful of athletes competing in it. Anna Rohrer in the 10,000 meters, she would be your headliner. She finished sixth overall. Uh, we're not too shabby there. I did a little math for our listeners. 10,000 meters is the equivalent of 6.2 miles for everybody. Uh, she led most of the race, was even leading with three laps to go, ended up getting passed by a handful of girls, finished sixth overall in a time, 6.2 miles in a time of 32 minutes, 26 seconds, and 24 one-hundredths of a second. Rags, I ran a 5K one time, and I did it in just about the same time. <laughs> 5K's half of the distance, so I, I don't think I could keep up with Anna Rohr. So congratulations to her. Obviously, that earns her I'm sorry, athletic All-American honors in the sport. Annie Hefferman was her, her time. Uh, she, it was her best time. She finished 17th in the same event. Jessica Harris was in that event as well, but she was knocked out in the semifinals race number one. And on the men's side, Nate Ricarts, he finished 11th in the pole vault. Actually, he kind of underachieved a little bit. He had recently set an ACC record with a jump of 18.8 feet. He went 17.4 feet in the Nationals, again finished 11th. He was a five-time All-American, three outdoors, two indoors. His career is done at Notre Dame, so a good job by those particular track and field athletes. You mentioned basketball news. Let's move on to basketball news. 
this tournament is called the Gotham Classic. It's the first time in history. It's super confusing. I'm going to do my best to walk you through this. <laughs> it's the first time that Notre Dame has ever hosted an entire tournament, but it's really not a tournament from what I can gather. Notre Dame will play four games in said tournament, November 6th against Illinois Chicago, November 14th against Radford, November 17th against William & Mary, and then what they're calling the showcase game, November 20th against Duquesne. Again, they're calling this a tournament, but nobody gets knocked out. They're just scheduled games. This is considered a multi-team exempt event, meaning that the four games for this said tournament will only count as one. You can only play 31 regular season games, but you're going to get four for one in this particular deal. Mike Bray said it was important. They go to UCLA. They play at uh, they play Oklahoma at Madison Square Garden. Mike Bray said he needed more home games, and this will certainly do it when you get four for one. So something to look forward to there. I'm Todd, let me cut you off here because sure this, this, you know, it hurts my head thinking about this. So what does this mean? <laughs> do you have to win all four to get a win? Like, do you get a win? I don't get it. Like, so if you're four and zero going into it, and you win three out of four, what are you coming out of it? <laughs> That's a heck of a good question, Rags. You stumped the panel on that one. Yeah, because. And they say it only counts as one. I'm assuming you will get four wins on your docket, but when it comes to the scheduling aspect, it will only count as one game. So I guess you can play 34 games for the price of 31 is the way I'm taking it away. But, uh, I mean, I guess it, it helps you get to 20 wins, if nothing else. I guess. If you win one out of four, you're going to take the win, right? The other three, they didn't count. We were No, yeah. no, you throw those out. Yeah, we thought, okay. We'll take the win. Thank you very much. Well, All right, well, I, you know. Whatever. They win all four. I, honestly, I've never heard of a multi-team exempt event. I've never heard of a Gotham Classic. <laughs> sounds like multi-team exempt event. It sounds like scrimmage. Yeah, it really does sound like scrimmage. So <laughs> I don't know. They were, all, you know, they're trying to pimp it up as best they can. So that's there's your there's a little bit of hoops news, I guess. On a more tangible note, on November 27th, uh, the ACC Big Ten Challenge they released the schedule last week. Uh, Notre Dame will play home against Illinois on November 27th. ACC has owned the Big Ten in this thing, in this challenge. Actually went 11-3 and last year, ACC did. Illinois, a little bit of a history of Notre Dame. They played a bunch. More, most recently, they played the 2015 ACC Big Ten Challenge, and Notre Dame won that game 84-79. The game that still stands close to my heart was in 2003 in the second round of the NCAA tournament down in Indianapolis. Notre Dame beat uh, number 10, or I'm sorry, number 11 Illinois in that game, 68-60, which sent him to the Sweet 16 uh, out in Anaheim, California. And uh, I was out at that as well when they got whacked by Arizona in the, in the Sweet 16 round. Um, so a little bit of uh, history there with Illinois. It's not the marquee game you had last year with Michigan State. And, you know, they try to uh, they, they try to do the matchups according to what they think you're going to finish. So Maybe that says something about preseason expectations for Notre Dame. I'll give you a quick rundown of who's playing who. Uh, Minnesota will play Boston College. Nebraska will play Clemson. There's a good one. Indiana will play Duke. Michigan State will play Louisville. North Carolina State, Wisconsin. Pittsburgh, Iowa. Syracuse, Ohio State. Virginia Tech, Penn State. Purdue, Florida State. That's a good game there. Yep. Georgia, Georgia Tech, Northwestern. Virginia, Maryland. Rutgers, Miami, and probably the marquee game of this entire event, uh, North Carolina, Michigan. I would obviously say that is certainly the marquee matchup there. A little charity softball going on here, Rags. We're all over the place in this uh, blue gold report here. A little charity softball slash football. 
the Notre Dame Police Department, South Bend Police Department, Mishawaka Police Department, and the St. Joe County Sheriff, as well as the Indiana State Police. They're going to face off with some Notre Dame football players on June 11th, this coming week here. That's a Monday out of Four Winds Field, home of the South Bend Cubs. Uh, obviously, it's a charity event. It's $5 to get in. Kids can get in for free. I believe it's 11 and under. Uh, the money will go to Concerns of Police Survivors. Obviously, that's for fallen officers, uh, some money going to that cause. A lot of photo ops with the players, autographs, etc. Good time. Uh, that whole play area is going to be open for the kids. So if the weather's nice, it sounds like kind of a fun thing to go to. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a real good idea. Uh, and uh, by the way, you want to buy tickets for that, go to southbendcubs.com. Indiana Cops, the COPS. Provides resources to assist in rebuilding the lives of surviving families of law enforcement officers killed in the line of duty as determined by federal criteria. So furthermore, COPS provides training to law enforcement agencies on survivor uh, victimization issues and educates the public of the need to support law enforcement profession and its survivors. So it's a real important uh, cause and uh, looks like all those police forces in the uh, northeastern Indiana area is teaming up to try to take down the Fighting Irish football team and softball. You can find more information on that at indianacops.org again 12 bucks I'm sorry 5 bucks 12 and under get in for free and it's uh, southbendcubs.com Monday June 11th good good pick up there that's a great event yeah it is I, and it sounds like something Mary might enjoy my daughter I'll make drag her out there to that and watch that should be a lot of fun for sure um, one that hits kind of close to your home uh, the award these awards watch list are already coming out right oh yeah all season um Ronnie Lott Impact Award. Obviously, this goes to excellence, the best defensive player when it comes to excellence on and off the field. And I would say the early front runner is a guy by the name of Drew Tranquil for this thing. Uh, Fort Wayne kid, obviously. Um, you talk about excellence on and off the field, my word. He, he exemplifies it for sure. He's, been, he's on the watch list, as is a linebacker made of his, Tavon Coney, as well. Coney finished first on the team last year with 116 total tackles, 13 for loss and three sacks. Tranquil, who will be switching positions from rover to linebacker this year. He was third on the team last year with 85 total tackles, 10 and a half tackles for loss. He also had three fumble recoveries, so a couple uh, deserving candidates there. The Dave Remington Award, obviously given to the best center, best center in college football, Sam Mustafer. He has uh, played 34 games here for Notre Dame, including 25 starts. Um, he's a fifth-year senior this year. He's a team captain. He did not give up a single sack last year and only gave up six quarterback hurries, so another deserving candidate uh, for these early, early, early watch lists for these postseason awards. C.J. Sanders, wide receiver slash kick returner. He will be taking his grad transfer talents to SMU, Southern Methodist. Um, while he was here, Sanders had, as a wide receiver, not a lot to talk about, 26 career receptions, 293 yards, a couple TDs. He was a wonderful kick returner, though. He had 85 tries on kickoffs. 1,998 yards, including three TDs. As a punt returner, had 35 tries, which accounted for 307 yards, and he also added a score there on punt returns. He should be able to slide right in here, Rags. SMU lost its two top wide receivers, Cortland Sutton Sutton, and Trey Quinn. Those two combined last year for 182 receptions, 2,321 yards. I'm sorry, these, these are career numbers, and 25 TDs. Sutton was a second-round pick to the Denver Broncos. I bring that up because Quinn was Mr. Insignificant this year. He went to the Washington Redskins in the last pick of the NFL draft. Moving on, moving on to 
Well, how's that indoor facility coming along? Well, let me. I still. I'm. I'm not done yet, Rags. I'm just. I'm just warming up. Here. Well, I want to know about the facility, though. I mean, did you? We'll, we'll get to it. I, I, I didn't mention Rock Ishmael and Aaron Taylor. Oh, sorry. Yes, the uh, College Football Hall of Fame. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, I've got some uh, an, an, a bonus bonus nugget. Uh, Major League Baseball draft. Uh, some baseball players are going uh, to Major League, so we'll talk wow. about that in a second. But you go ahead. Tell why, us about why, the College Football Hall of Fame. Why did you even invite me to the show, Rags? <laughs> You're full of info. Rocket Ishmael, this will be it's kind of interesting. I can't believe he's not already in the Hall of Fame. I know, right? It, it's his uh, sixth straight appearance on the ballot. Um, obviously a two-time All-American, one of the best uh, wide receivers in Notre Dame history. Let's see, what did he have? He had six career kick returns for touchdowns. 22.0 yard average per reception is still a Notre Dame record all these years later. Played in the late 80s, early 90s. And then Aaron Taylor, this will be his third appearance on the ballot. Uh, he was on in 13 and then last year in 17. Another guy, I can't believe I mean, he was a two-time, he was a unanimous first-team All-American one time in 93, and a consensus All-American in 92. So he, was, he won the 93 Lombardi Award. I mean, come on, why is this guy not in the Hall of Fame? Uh, it's a good question. Currently an analyst for CBS Sports. He's around here quite a bit. I should try to get him on the show, actually. So both those guys will be on the ballot again. Hopefully they get in. It's getting a little bit silly that neither one of them are. Oh, you were asking about facilities. <laughs> well, real quick, though, that will be an emotional event because uh, McNair is probably going to get in, Steve McNair. Oh, they wow. got it like a special uh, smaller school uh, induction to get in. Um, and, of course, he went to Alcorn State University, and uh, he passed away a few years back. Actually, he was murdered. So uh, it, it, he should be getting in. Had a huge, uh, huge career, not only with the Oilers and Titans and, and Ravens, but also at Alcorn State. We all remember that well. So uh, uh, kudos to his, uh, his family and uh, everybody for going out there. That should be an emotional uh, weekend for sure. All right, the facility. What's going on with the facility? Well, uh, we're talking about the new indoor facility for Notre Dame. Um, it's going to be 111,000 square feet. It's going to be a big boy. Um, the steel beams are going up, Rags. This is scheduled to be completed in 2000, July of 2019, so obviously they won't be able to use it this year. But before the football season next year, it should be up and running. It's going to really help alleviate congestion uh, in the Loftus Center there. You know, keep in mind that all of the sports teams use that Loftus Center for workouts and whatnot. And, and, you know, there was a time when Notre Dame had to come in and the football team had to lift weights at 5, 6 in the morning because the thing was booked up all the time. So once this is all said and done, it's not only going to be an indoor football facility, but they're also going to extend the Goog all the way out to that road and it's going to attach to this facility. They're going to have their own kitchen in there. They're going to have a football-only weight room in there. It's going to be really nice. And I think it's kind of necessary. When you're in the Loftus Center and spring ball and off-season workouts and whatnot or on rainy days, you know, you can't practice kickoffs. You can't practice punting because you hit the ceiling with everything. You can't practice field goals. And I think that's a deficiency that Notre Dame needs to correct. So, I, you know, a lot of, a lot of this stuff I kind of find is, uh, pork barrel spending around here, but I think this is an important one for them, and good for them. So that's going to be really nice to watch be constructed. Um, it's going to be a it's going to be a heck of a facility, and they're going to close that road there in between the Goog and the Labar practice field. So that's going to be a pedestrian only walkway. It's going to change some traffic dynamics a little bit, but I think it's much needed, Rags. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you brought up the reason why with the deficiencies in the kicking game and all that stuff. So, uh, well, I'm looking forward to. Well, I'm, you said it, but I, I blank. When was that going to be done? July of 2019. So uh-huh. it's, it's just getting started now. 
Um, it's a big project. It's going to be a heck of a project. And for folks that are familiar with that area, there are three football fields, full football fields in that practice facility. The one on the far west side, which would be closest to the Joyce Center, right across the street from the Joyce Center there, that's going to be the one that's enclosed. The other two will remain open uh, so they can go outside or inside. But uh, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be a nice addition, and I'm sure it'll, it'll, it'll look nice. It, you know, again, it's a multi-multi-million dollar project So uh, that, that was funded privately, as always. So be kind of fun. I'll keep everybody updated on how the progress of this project is coming along. All right, let me do tell you about uh, the baseball draft. The University of Notre Dame had uh, two picked on the fir- uh, fifth and seventh rounds. Matt Veerling and Nick Podkull got picked uh, fifth and seventh, respectively. Veerling and Podkull became the 115th and 116th all-time Major League Baseball draft picks in the program history. Veerling is an outfielder. He was selected by Philly, the Philadelphia Phillies, in the fifth round. Uh, and uh, it looks like uh, Podkull plays second base. He goes Toronto goes 206 in the seventh round. And later on, uh, Cole Daly was the 671st overall pick in the 22nd round, and he goes to the Washington Nationals. He is a shortstop. So three get picked in the Major League Draft there. So Major League Baseball Draft. Uh, and the tradition keeps rolling along. I would have thought more than 116, but again, uh, it's still pretty impressive. I'm sure I have to look at other schools and like uh, Texas and Auburn and things like that, but the smaller South schools probably have a little bit more, but congratulations to those three players. You never know, Todd, with these uh, prospects, if right. they're ever going to turn into uh, anything huge, but, you, you know, it's, it's still, uh, it's a little bit of a cha-ching, and they get to go pursue more of their dream. You know, what's funny about the baseball draft, Rags, I think more than any any of the sports out there, it's, that's probably your biggest crapshoot. It sure is. You, you know, I mean, players develop. I, I remember covering the Fort Wayne Wizards before they became the Tin Caps uh, when I was working in uh, for the Journal Gazette there, and I spent a couple seasons covering them. And guys would move through. I remember a guy by the name of Vince Faison. He was a first-round pick. He actually got a $4 million signing bonus. I don't even think he ever made it to double-A. And then there was a guy that moved through while I was while I was working there by the name of Jake Peavy. And you might have heard not, of him. No, and he was not even really all that highly regarded. And while he ended up, he's he still pitching. Well, I will say this: as a New York Met fan, I wish Aaron Heilman would have stayed in college and never came <laughs> out because he did cost us the uh, the going to the World Series in two thousand and six. But I I digress. I still <laughs> hold some grudges. Uh, but anyway, uh, before I get to the horse racing. Uh, and why you want to watch and why you want to root for Justify tomorrow. Uh, real quick, the kids are back on campus? Yeah, they are. And Brian Kelly's happy as a lark because there are no academic issues whatsoever. Clean bill of health. All the freshmen have arrived. As a matter of fact, everybody uh, other than Alohi Gilman, um, he, he had a late flight so because uh, he lives in Hawaii. Um, so he, was, he should be on campus by now. But uh, at the point that this story came out, Everybody was ready to go. Everybody's academically ready to go. So a lot of good news on that front. It's still no. going to be interesting to see. We talked about it last the last show, Rags. It's going to be interesting to see because they still have to lose one player off this roster. And so that's going to be something we're going to have to track as well. And it sounds like they're going to lose somebody for a few games at least. Now, did I hear right, and I'm making this up in my head, but did he say this is the first time since he's been there that he hasn't had to deal with any academics in the offseason here? That's the way I'm reading it, Rags. He he was thrilled. He was he was in, played in a golf tournament up in Michigan, um, a charity event up there, and so he talked to some media up there. I was I was not at the event, but certainly uh, got a lot of feedback on it. 
And yeah, he, I, I don't know from what I'm reading and what I can gather, he's as happy as he's ever been this time of the year. So uh, that's always good news. It seems like Notre Dame got all their problems, all their arrest, all their academic suspension. Got them out of the way early this year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, typically this is the time of year when all this stuff starts to go down. Uh, but theirs went on right, basically towards the end of the season, right after the season, whatever the case may be. All right, well, let me tell you about this horse race at the Belmont Stakes this coming weekend and why you want to root for a Triple Crown. I will tell you this. The two, Notre Dame football and the Triple Crown, have a lot in common. Now, the Finding Irish have won 12 consensus NCAA national championships. There have been 12 Triple Crown winners. I will say this. Eight of the 12 years that there's been a Triple Crown winner has resulted in unbeaten seasons or national titles for Notre Dame, if not both. And the lowest finish, while there was a Triple Crown, was ranked 11th for that season. In the years with the Triple Crown winner, check this out, uh, Todd. The Fighting Irish are 107-11-5. That's almost a 90% Winning. And that's comparable. They knew Rockney was uh, 881 percentage of winning. They're 890 when there's a triple crown. And remember when, uh, you know, the last time it happened in 2015, American Pharaoh broke the drought. Notre Dame was 10 and 1 at the beginning right. of that year, and they had a real significant chance of making it to the playoffs. So even though there was a recent one, they still had a great season that year. And in 2012, I'll have another, got two thirds of the Triple Crown. That was the year Notre Dame, of course, went undefeated. And, uh, well, they, they got, you know, a, 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 tw- a 12 thirteenths of their of their tri- triple crown, so to speak, done when they got crushed to Alabama. But so the moral of the story is justify even odds to win the triple crown at the Belmont this coming weekend. So Notre Dame even odds to win the national championship. Right, right. <laughs> good stuff. That's, that's, I think that sets the standard for blue gold nuggets right there. That's a good one. Uh, well, no doubt about it. So uh, I'd be watching anyway, but I, I wanted to give uh, everybody out there a Notre name land a rooting interest all right todd uh what's the situation now before you know we're going to play brian kelly's uh press conference following the blue gold uh game and really the last time we've heard him at any extent uh from about a month ago something has changed on campus where you know we talked about dexter williams we talked about this running back core and how i wanted him to be the one that steps up and take control well it sounds like it won't be him what's going on well, I have to give Eric Hansen of the South Bend Tribune credit for this one. Um, I, I'm basically following his lead on this story for sure. Uh, but there's a lot of rumblings behind the scenes that indeed Dexter Williams will be suspended to start the season. Now, Brian Kelly is kind of hedging his bet when he was asked about it at that Michigan golf outing. He just kind of said, he, he just brushed it off. He, he didn't, neither confirmed nor denied <laughs> the, the, the reports, the rumors, I guess you'd call them more than anything. But this is huge. This is big. If you remember, it's a similar situation that Kevin Stefferson, the former wide receiver here, faced when he missed the first four games last year. Brian Kelly was asked about what's going on, what's going on, and he never really came out and said that Stefferson was suspended, but clearly he was, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. Because you know, if Dexter Williams is eligible and ready to play, he is going to play because I think he's the alpha male of this position group. I really do. And it's such a thin group. I mean, when you think about Josh Adams leaving a year early to go to the NFL, and then C.J. Holmes, Deion McIntosh, both dismissed from the team. McIntosh, believe it or not, was third on the team last year in rushing, uh, 368 yards. He really did a good job with a lot of injuries to to Tony Jones Jr., and uh, Williams was obviously suffering some. So in many games, he became kind of the backup 
also had five TDs. Those three guys are gone. So what you're left with, I just mentioned Tony Jones Jr., he played in all 12 games, made one start last year. Had 44 carries, 234 yards, which isn't too shabby. Uh, that's a 5.3 yards per carry. I'm sorry, 232 yards. I was looking at the, the games, not the, not the net on that. Had three TDs, so a little bit of something, but nobody else on this entire roster, Rags, has ever even carried a ball in a college game. You know, you're looking at a couple hybrid guys, uh, Jafar Armstrong and Avery Davis. Avery Davis is the third-string quarterback who's working out a running back because they're so thin there. He's actually playing a little wide receiver as well. So those are the guys that have at least experienced a college football game, not necessarily played in one, but have been on the team, have been in the program. So you have those guys that redshirted last year. You know, are those, are those adequate backups? It doesn't sound like it to me because they didn't even start their careers as running backs. And then you have a couple of incoming freshmen, Jameer Smith and Sebo Flemister, your favorite name on the team, I believe, I'm not mistaken. <laughs> A couple true freshmen, nice players, nice recruits, but again, they're true freshmen. So I think this Dexter Williams thing, and I know you brought this up more more often than I have. You, Rags, you really pointed at this running back position as perhaps the most important one on this team, especially on the offense. And I kind of see where you're coming from, especially with this news. I, you know, you have to play Michigan. You have some early, you know, you, you, to open things, and you have some tough games early on. You, you, college football, man, you can't go two and two to start a season and expect to make anything happen. This is big news and news, I think, that could really impact an entire season if, indeed, Dexter Williams can't start uh, opening day. Yeah, and think about the progression of Wimbush, too, because he was better when the running game was successful early in the season. Uh, And then you have a guy like Dexter Williams who looked like the heir apparent. Now, are we talking number of games yet? Do we know anything, how long it would be, or what what it would entail? I don't know. It really, like I said, it's very hush-hush at this point. I'm just kind of basically reporting, uh, repeating what Eric Hansen was reporting. But certainly, I, Eric Hansen is a very gifted reporter and writer. And we're yes, he is. Typically, typically fire when, when Hansen breaks something like this. You know, but Williams, again, uh, he, his durability was a question last year. But when he was on the field, he was wonderful. He did appear in 10 games. He had 39 carries, 360 yards on 39 carries. So that's well, 9.2 per, which led the team. He also had four TDs. This guy, if he can stay healthy, I, I've said all along, I thought he was a better back than what Josh Adams was, in all honesty. He did have that breakaway speed, uh, just like Josh Adams did as well. There's no doubt about it. And his big news, nothing yet official, but we'll keep an eye on that. Now, Todd, uh, let's uh, head on over. Now, whatever he says about Dexter Williams in this press conference, just keep it with a grain of salt, but we thought it was important that we break down uh, you know, what he had to say, and at least you guys listen to uh, what Brian Kelly had to say post uh, Blue Gold game, which happened a little more than a month ago, Todd, and uh, a lot of takeaways out of this. Is there anything you want people to really listen for, that uh, to keep an ear on, that, that really you know lifted an eye- eyebrow for you? I think what jumped out at me, Rags, more than anything is just his take on how well Brandon Wimbush played throughout the spring and just the differences between what Brandon Wimbush was a year ago at this time and how Brian Kelly feels Brandon Wimbush is now. I think that's what jumped out at me more than anything. I I wanted to cut that up and play that just because he hits on so many topics, and obviously this time of year is a little bit of a slow news cycle. 
So I, I, he hits on a lot of things that I think people are going to be curious about. I like the questions that he was asked in this presser. So he hits on a lot, a lot of topics. That's why I thought it was worthwhile. Yeah, it's funny in the beginning, and I'm not sure if you had to cut in there with the uh, with uh, I, I don't know who the reporter was, but pressing him, are you going to name a starting quarterback? Will you name one today? I thought that was that was quite comical. Uh, and Brian Kelly had a nice sense of humor about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, he was. He's not. He's not willing to go there, but uh, I think we all know where he's going. <laughs> all right, Todd, let's take a listen to it. Brian Kelly, uh, right after the uh, blue-gold game about a month and a half ago. Well, we got um, what I was hoping uh, out of the spring game was uh, competition. Um, we needed to work on some things internally about how our players um, – handle the emotions during the game. Some of our guys uh, are really calm, cool, and collected, but they needed to kind of get in a, an optimal zone relative to how they compete. And I thought they did a nice job today of amping it up. You know, when you're in spring ball and you're just practicing against each other, you you know, the, the intensity, the adrenaline is not there like a game. So we, we challenged our guys to get into a, a level, a, a comfort level, where there was great intensity, but... Um, you know, certainly it's not Michigan. Uh, and I, I really was pleased internally with, with some of the things that a couple of our players uh, did today. And it showed the way they performed. They performed pretty well. Um, you know, as a head coach, you're, you're, you're never happy, you're never sad. You know, you got to look at both sides of the ball. I thought we did some good things offensively, some things that we need to improve in, and same thing on uh, defense. Um, Special teams, uh, you know, we've been outside twice um, all spring, so uh, we we don't have the ability really to do much kicking indoors. Um, so I'm not that concerned with with our special teams game. Um, I think all those kids are going to be really good for us in the fall. I, I think at the end of the day, when I walk away from this, our guys competed. We got a lot of young players, uh, an opportunity to go in there. And we worked on some of the things that I, I think I had mentioned in a couple of other press conferences. We needed to throw the football more effectively. We needed some receivers to step up and make plays. And I thought we saw that today. We're going to have to find out what our rotation is on the offensive line. Um, you know, we had some, you know, uh, false start penalties in there. But they'll, they'll clean themselves up with maturity. Um, you know, defensively, I thought we were aggressive. We, we played the ball in the air. We were, we were attacking the football. So... For me, you know, again, I'll get a better sense when I watch the film, but, you know, a lot of things happened out there. It was an exciting, competitive spring game with a lot going on. We ran a ton of plays at our defense. They got tired, which they would, even when you're, you're, you're making some substitutions because, um, you know, you're really pressing the action. So, good day, and um, pleased with the game, and we got out of it injury-free. Um, Dalen got a little bit of a stinger. When he uh, ran into Alize, but he was doing the right thing. You know, we ask our guys not to cut tackle in this game. They did a nice job. They didn't put any of our players in compromising positions. Uh, so he kind of backed off the tackle and got hit awkwardly. But other than that, um, with a slight stinger, um, really pleased that we went through the entire spring and um, came out clean. With, with the quarterbacks, where are you with that? Where do you want to go with it this summer? What do you mean, in terms of their development? In terms of... Oh, you want me to name somebody? Is yes, that what I you guys like are doing? That. Okay. Yes. Um, or, or not. But. Or, or not. You know, I, I think it's pretty clear that, um, you know, Brandon went out and, and got a chance to go with the first group, and, and Ian played with the second group. Um, 
you know, that's not etched in stone, but uh, that's the way they've been trending. And um, I don't think there was anything today that changed that. But we know Ian Book can win for us. So it's 1A and 1B. What did Brandon show you this spring that was different than what you saw from him in November, December? And what's his next step? Uh, consistency in his mechanics was probably the biggest thing. You know, his drop, you know, put him in a lot of compromising situations in terms of throwing the football. And so I think that was cleaned up, started with his attention to those things and being very coachable. Um, and then repetition, you know, doing it consistently, play in and play out. So we're not there yet, but we made a huge jump forward. Um, last spring I told him, I went home, I didn't feel so good about the way you played. Um, I think I'm going to go home and feel a whole lot better today. The next step for him. Well, consistency in all of his mechanics are really the most important thing. He, this is something new for him in a sense that um, you know he's developed a, a platform to throw the football a lot more consistently. So this is just about repeating that process. Brian, right here. Um, Addy uh, Ogundeji, I think I said that right. Uh, a couple of sacks today. What do you think his role is going forward? It seems like he's trending in the right yeah, direction. Yeah, he'll be he'll be part of our rotation, and we'll need him. Um, he's long. He's very strong. I mean, if you look at his numbers in the weight room, you would, you would say, well, that should translate. Um, he's been he's been one step behind everybody, just picking up the nuances of the game, and I think it's coming to him. But he's got the physical traits. He's got the mental traits too. I mean, he's a really, really uh, tough kid. Uh, but just picking up the game, being more comfortable and confident. And as that kind of, kind of continues to unfold, I think you're going to see him playing some some significant football for us. Brian Miles had a breakout game in your bowl game. Had a couple nice plays today too. Is this indicative of what you've seen from him in the spring? It's been he's been um, you know our top receiver. He's been a big play receiver for us as well. Um, something that we struggled with last year. We weren't an explosive passing game last year. Miles changes that complexion. He's very difficult to defend, and if you do, you have to roll a coverage up on him. You're going to take a safety and borrow a safety. We think that's going to give us the kind of running game that will be extremely effective as well. So he's a he's a big piece of this moving forward. And then on the other side, Claypool, with a, with a lot of catches from a volume standpoint, is that something that you think, I mean, you're not going to catch seven, eight balls every game, but is that something he's capable of most nights? Yeah, so a lot of that was, you know, getting his uh, intensity level in, in the right place. Uh, and his emotions. Um, he wasn't one of our cool, cool, calm, and collected guys last year, but he's really worked hard on that, and the way he's practiced has allowed him to be much more focused. You know, he'd have the occasional drop last year, here or there, maybe in a missed assignment. Uh, but since he's found where that optimal zone for him to be when he plays, um, he's been so much more consistent. If he If he continues to trend this way, you know, you've got another big, rangy, physical wide receiver that we can put on the field. Coach, here in the back, a lot of time between now and the Michigan game, but where would you like to see your team take that next step? Well, you know, again, I think there's so much more, you know, things that we need to do in terms of our preparation. First thing they need to do is finish strong academically. Um, you know, their focus will be on some optional lifts. Um, over the next week or two exams then they'll get some time off an active rest period for them um, and then when we get back here in june really uh, we need to continue to to develop physically um, so there'll be some 
some hard months here in June and July for us. Then when we get into camp, you know, developing, you know, the, the consistency on both sides of the ball, you know, there's some new new faces out there that, that have to be counted on. So there's a lot of work, you're right, um, leading up to the Michigan game. But we know what's in front of us. We know that we're not a finished product at this point. And, um, but their work ethic has been great. Their attitude's been great. It's a close team. Um, they really care for each other. So there's a lot of really good things moving forward. Brian, yeah. in terms of some of those new faces, Jeff Jafar Armstrong, Avery Davis. I'm curious what kind of spring they had, and also when you have some different styles of running backs, how that can maybe open up parts of the offense that, that weren't really that open last year. Yeah, I think they are definitely um, pieces to this uh, offensive system that we missed at times last year. Uh, I think it gives us, as you saw, the ability to go with some split backs, which gives us a lot of options. Uh, Jafar Armstrong was a little bit hobbled with a high ankle sprain, but we saw physicality in his ability to run. He's strong. He's really he's got some pretty good instincts, can catch the football. And then Avery is kind of a multi-dimensional guy. I mean, he can do a little bit of everything for us. So those two guys give us more versatility than just having, you know, the two backs and the freshman at that position. So um, what we saw from them in the spring kind of showed itself today. Both of them are going to be productive. We're in the back here. Um, naming Alex Barza captain earlier today, just what have you seen from him in his growth throughout his career, but also uh, just throughout the spring that kind of put him ahead of some of the other guys that were in line for that? Um, you know, I think Alex has been, you know, a three-year starter, a guy that has been in it, you know, and understands the standards that we have here. And so he models those standards, and players see that. They react to it uh, positively. You can't kid those guys. You can't, you know, convince them to uh, vote. This, this is strictly voting uh, on the players. I had nothing to do with Alex Barr's being named the captain other than just going through the process here at Notre Dame. Um, through, a, through um, a confirmation process. But the players wanted him as their next captain. He earned it. We gave everybody the opportunity on our football team to be the fourth captain, and uh, his peers voted for him. Brian, what have you seen from your defense this spring that gives you encouragement going into the fall? The, the, Confidence. The little, the, the little things. Yeah, they're a very confident group. I think depth at the safety and cornerback position. Um, I like our rotations on the defensive line. If there's one concern, it's finding the depth at the linebacker position. That would be probably my only concern. But it's a confident group. Um, they they run to the football. They they. You know, they're going to be attacking the football on the back end of the defense, which, you know, at times was, a, you know, frustrating. Um, I think we've, we've kind of come a long way from that perspective. And also up front with the move to Tillery from, from nose to the three technique. So the three really just gives him the ability to be a penetrator. Um, the one, obviously, you've got to anchor a lot more. We want to use his quickness, his length, his ability to, you know, create a new line of scrimmage. He'll be difficult to block at the three, and we think we've got, you know, Jonathan Bonner will be back with us. We're going to move him to the to the shade. You know, Kurt Heinish, um, Micah Dutreadway. So we we think we've got three guys there. Even moving Jerry to the three, we still got great depth at that position. 
Oh, Brian, I guess I'll go. Um, what did you think of Alohi today? Obviously hadn't played in, I guess, more than a year. Yeah, high contact. You know, so if you look at every time he's near the football, there's high contact with him. And so that's what we were looking at that position. High contact, plays the ball well in the air, um, and a very smart football player. So I think he's, he's what we thought he would be. He started a little slow in the spring. I think he's really picked it up to the point where – uh, he's making things happen back at that safety position. And then also, what just in general did Brandon do best today? Um, I think he repeated his motion was the best thing that he did today. So repetition of what his mechanics need to be, what his platform needs to be. Threw a couple off his back foot, maybe a questionable decision here or there. Those are less of a concern for me because he's so you know, conscientious about those things. I was much, much more uh, interested in how he was going to handle pregame, how he's been handling you know, the game situations and getting um, his intensity up a little bit. You know, As you all know that interview him, he's about as cool and calm as anybody. He needs that heartbeat to race a little bit more. And today he got it up a little bit. I thought it, it, it helped him in the way he plays. So his intensity management was really good today, and that was big for me. Maybe off of that, how did he respond after he threw an interception? I mean, I know obviously it's a spring game, but how did he respond? How did you think he responded? No, I thought he responded like he should, right? I mean, he knew what he needed to do in that situation, didn't do it. Um, Self-corrected you know, and, and then came back out and um, led our football team, which he's going to have to continue to do. Brian, to your right. Yes. Getting, getting back to Bonner, what is his timetable to getting back to 100%? What can he do strength and conditioning-wise right he's, now? He's been, he's been doing everything um, but at lighter weight, and now he's, he's only a couple of weeks away from being full go. So he, he, he's gonna, he's, he was already physically really gifted, so we don't think that that's going to be a big curve for him. Um, and he'll be able to start training aggressively when we get back here in June. Getting back to the running back situation, what did you want to see from Dexter Williams this spring, and how far did he come in meeting your expectations? Um, you know, I think for Dexter, it was really more about, um, you know, can he pick up the nuances of our offense relative to pass protection? Uh, that was a big thing for us. Uh, I think he's improved in that area. Um, and then uh, how long can you stay on the field? You know, he seemed to be a guy that we couldn't keep on the field very long. Um, he had a really good spring. He wasn't a guy that we had to pull out or wasn't conditioned well enough. Um, so I think all of those questions have been answered. Now it's, um, it's, it's doing it in game situations when he gets that opportunity. Do, do you consider him and Tony Jones 1-1-A, one one or is Tony Jones your starter? You guys are interesting about all these questions. I mean, he's going to play, Tim. Uh, you know, you know how we roll here. I mean, we're going to go with the guy that's playing really well. So then they're one and one A. Thank you, one and one A. <laughs> I like when I help you answer your own questions. Appreciate that. Uh, and finally, Jameer Smith. You didn't talk about him, but he seemed to be a yeah. young guy that picked things up pretty quickly. For yeah, I mean, he's been like that, Tim, all spring. Very comfortable. Came in as a mid-year. Um, and Roley has done a great job in the classroom, just a joy to coach, and has picked up things really quickly. Thank you. Yes. Brian. Coach, just uh, kind of seemed all spring, and then we saw it today. There was a lot more kind of throws over the middle, crossers, some in-breaking routes near the hash. Was that sort of an emphasis for you guys to kind of get the quarterbacks more comfortable kind of attacking the middle of the field with the pass game? 
I think, Brian, it, it was the entire passing game. It was, you know, we didn't throw many in cuts. Uh, you know, we didn't have many crossers with, with, you know, digs over the top. We didn't have, you know, the post combinations. You know, we just, you know, we didn't feel like we were a high percentage there. So everything that's ever been in my passing game, we've, you know, I've, we've really kind of opened up to our quarterbacks and said that we have to be efficient in these areas. So, you know, what you saw today may not truly reflect what you'll see in, in the fall, but we needed to know that we're capable of throwing it 50 times if that was what was needed. Um, so we opened up the playbook this spring to get to that. It seemed like Brandon was doing more moving in the pocket while maintaining sort of a, a, a mm -hmm. progression read as opposed to just taking off. Was that also something that was a little bit of a point of emphasis, or is that just his maturity as a player? It's both. Comfort in the pocket. Um, and I wasn't going to let him run. I told him that. I'm standing back here out on the field with a whistle because I'm going to blow it once you take off. So if you want the play to end with a sack, then that's what you'll do. If not, hang in there. Keep your eyes downfield, and let's try to make some plays. Now, maybe doing that forced him to maybe put a couple of balls into coverage that he shouldn't, but the emphasis here was to have him in the pocket. Whatever. You said you really like the depth at corner and safety. I so do. Overall, what do you think of the secondary today, and big picture, how do you think the DBs looked overall this spring? I'm, I, I want to defend Miles Boykin better. Um, you know, he was obviously an issue. Um, some of the other plays were on scrambles where the ball got over the top of our defenders. Um, but, you know, I'm like anybody else in college football as a coach. We don't want to give up any big plays. Um, so, you know, if we were playing against a Miles Boykin, we would play a little bit differently. He'd get a lot more help. Um, but... By and large, I think what I've seen throughout the spring is competition at those positions, and, and that's a good thing. And uh, playing the ball in the air and, and being much more aggressive in the back end. We're not as passive in terms of coming up and making a tackle on a hitch route that got us 12, 13 yards. Our guys are a lot more aggressive and with good technique. But again, today, the ball got over the top. We'll have to take a look at that. I've got to see it a little bit more clearly on film. But we've had a good spring with, with our guys being much more aggressive. Good. Yes. Just with with Avery, do you see him still as a quarterback going forward, or or is he? No, he's gotten right a, he's gotten a chance to play quarterback. It's just the conversation we had with Avery is is what do you want to do? If you want to just stay, you know, in the position right now, it looks like it's a one A one B at quarterback, and you're three, um, and you can stay in that position, um, or. We think you've got some talents that help our offense, and he wanted to do this. And he doesn't want to give up his ability to play quarterback down the road. But in the meantime, you know, you need to play this year. And so this gives him that opportunity. All right, that was Brian Kelly at uh, the post-game press conference, uh, post-blue-gold game press conference from about a month and a half ago uh, with the state of the union, basically, of the team right after that game, Todd. Now, some has changed since then, but not a lot as we look forward to the weeks ahead. Uh, I mean, we'll be in studio next week, Todd. Is that what we're hoping? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> All right, my friend. Well, thanks for making the effort today. Uh, we know and we love you, and we're just happy to have you back on here. Hey, we'll do it all over again next week. All right, pal? All right. Thanks, Rags. I appreciate it, man. This has been a presentation of Opt-In Productions.
podcast by Federated Media. Podcast by Federated Media.